0: Welcome to Secrets True Crime, the Eric Cates and Gypsy story. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Eric Cates, his beloved dog Gypsy, and the town of Empire, Alabama. Listener discretion is advised. The subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. It is not suitable for younger listeners. This is episode eight of a serial podcast, and they are designed to be listened to in order. Another big question that Eric's family had was what happened to Eric's things that were missing from his truck. His keys were not found. Eric had at least one knife with him that day, and no knives were found in his truck. We've mentioned Eric was last seen wearing a hat. His hat, nor any remnants of it, were found. There were also some necklaces in Eric's truck. This part is a little confusing. One was a white gold necklace with a pendant that was a circle of diamonds. Eric kept this necklace hanging from his rearview mirror. Eric had some additional necklaces in his ashtray. One had a silver infinity sign and the chain on it had broken. There was also an unmarked silver cross. Eric had recently bought a steel ball chain used for military dog tags from a military surplus store to put this cross on. We don't believe the fire inside the vehicle was hot enough to melt these items, but even if it had been, The metal wouldn't just evaporate. There would be telltale remnants of the necklaces, the keys, and the knife. While we don't yet know who took Eric's hat and knife, we do know who likely had at least one of the necklaces. At the time of Eric and Gypsy's murder, Perry Selman was in a relationship with a woman we will refer to as Gracie. We don't know if they were married or just in a relationship, but they were living together in Perry's home. Gracie's name came up in some of the tips Eric's family had received, and Toby wanted to talk to her. She'd made several failed efforts to speak with Gracie, and she was tired of waiting. Toby knew where Gracie was staying at the time, and she and Tanya showed up there one afternoon. Harry was in jail, and Gracie was living with the man that we've been referring to as George, and George's girlfriend, who we will call Zena. The letter we discussed in episode seven claimed that both George and Zena played part in Eric and Gypsy's murders. Gracie and Zena came outside and got into the back seat of Toby's vehicle. Toby just wanted to talk to her about what happened to Eric and Gypsy, but Gracie had a surprise for Toby.
1: One of the encounters that we had was um, with... When I was talking to her, she wanted to give me back a necklace that had belonged to Eric. And she was in my car in the back seat. Tanya and I was in the front. And her... who was, at that time, I believe to be part of Eric's murder... I think he was one of the ones that was there when it happened to Eric and Gypsy. He was yelling for her to get out of my car, to keep her mouth shut. He was using profanity. I had locked the doors. He had walked up more than once to try to open the door to get her out. Finally, he um, he was making such a scene that she went to give me the necklace, and I told her we would we had already made plans to meet the next week when he wasn't around.
0: Toby gave me a vivid description of George's aggressive and threatening behavior. At the time, Gracie was attempting to retrieve and hand her the necklace. George had picked up a board and was loudly threatening and cursing as he advanced towards her vehicle. Toby was never able to meet with Gracie again. Gracie went to jail herself for a while, And it wasn't too long after she got out of jail that she moved out of state. When we met with Toby for the first time, she told us not getting Eric's necklace that night was one of her biggest regrets. And a few days later, she messaged Gracie to see if she still had Eric's necklace. Gracie told her she did not have the necklace. She told Toby that a couple weeks after they'd had that meeting in Toby's car, she'd given Eric's necklace to Tanya.
1: So Tanya knew that I was going to be meeting her. That meeting never happened, and I never got the necklace. And it wasn't until just a couple of months ago, in 2019, that I found out that Tanya had that necklace, along with another necklace that had supposedly belonged to Eric. And she never told me about it and what bothers me about this is she knew that i had regretted not taking the necklace that night and with all this time she had never told me and she knew about this before i cut it off with her she knew about the necklace she had the necklace and never told me
0: tell me why you didn't take the necklace that night
1: again was causing such a scene outside he was getting more agitated cursing more, yelling. At one point, he even said that this wouldn't do any good for her. It was going to get her in trouble, in more trouble. And she was having trouble, I guess, getting the clasp unhooked. She was shaking. She adamantly said that she did not know what happened to Eric, that she liked Eric. Eric was good to her. And because he was getting a little more... Agitated. I told her we'd just wait till the next week.
0: We've had numerous audio recordings from the years since Eric's murder that have come into our possession. One of those recordings is a conversation between Tanya and Gracie. As Tanya was buying a necklace from her, you can tell that the conversation is happening inside the blue store. You can hear the cash registers and the chatter of customers making purchases. In the recording, Gracie tells Tanya that the necklace was Eric's. Tanya asked her how she had gotten it, and Gracie claimed that she'd had it for five years. She said Eric had traded the necklace to Perry for dope. Gracie wanted $150 for it, but Tanya stated she didn't think she could do that, but she could do $100 and the cash. I'm assuming this meant $100 in store credit and $50 cash, but I can't be certain. They both commented several times about how pretty the necklace is. They noted that it was gold, had diamonds, and then Tanya said, it's an infinity. Gracie notes that she kept it in a safe because she was afraid one of the diamonds would fall out. Tanya says, I sure hope Miss Toby will give me my money back on it. If not it'll go into my collection and never be worn. I have been unable to reach Gracie to ask her myself, but one of her friends did ask her about the necklace she sold to Tanya. Gracie found an image online of a necklace she said looked like the necklace she sold to Tanya and she sent it to her friend. The friend provided me with a screenshot of the necklace photo. It isn't an infinity, as Tanya said in the audio. The necklace pictured appears to be identical to the necklace Toby described that Eric had hanging from his rearview mirror, white gold with a circle of diamonds pendant. Toby had seen it and the other necklaces in Eric's truck on the Monday before Eric and Gypsy were found behind the Empire school. And she knew the value of the circle pendant necklace all too well. She is the one who bought that necklace as a gift to a woman in Eric's past when she noticed those necklaces in his truck. She told Eric he didn't need to have them just sitting around his truck because someone would steal them. Eric specifically pointed at the diamond circle necklace hanging from his rearview mirror and told his mom he liked it there. He liked the way it looked when the sun hit it. On the day we asked Tanya about what we believe was Eric's last trip to the store that Friday night, Michael also questioned her about this necklace she purchased. Again, this is the poor quality audio from the gas station parking lot, so I'll keep this audio to a minimum. What about the, the, the
2: necklace thing? Me and Toby was going to different places, and we was at... going up York Mountain Road to sister's house and her husband. It's where we went. and sitting in the back of the car, and me and Toby was sitting in the front, and she tried handing Toby a necklace. I can't remember exactly what it looks like, but from what I can remember, it was like a forever diamond-like thing. When they first come out, it was like an S shape. wasn't just a plain gold necklace? No. That's right. And you don't have that? No. We didn't take it. You never talked to me? About it again, and, and she didn't give it to me. No, I was going to buy it from her and give it back to Toby. But as far as I know of, I never did that either. I'll go back and look in my stuff though. Did you buy a necklace? From yes, I did. It was supposed to be here from years before. Yes, does but talk, it wasn't you know that, that. Yes, I told her that, and I showed it to her. She said it wasn't. It wasn't theirs. So. Just like I have an old thing at the house that has an old $10 bill in it from where Terry, Perry owes me money. And I'm holding on to it. He was never seen again. It's a 19, like a 1936 or thirty four $10 bill that his daddy gave him.
0: Wow. Tanya drifted onto another subject for a while, but Michael wanted to ask her again about the necklace.
2: Other than that one necklace, never gave you anything else. That was it. Like I said, I gave it. I showed it to Toby, and I said, "Toby, is this it?" And she said, "No, that wasn't it." That's one. Did you do it? Yes. If if it's still at my house, it does. Because I called Toby and asked Toby about it. I said, "Toby, do you want me to get this necklace?" And she said, "Yes."
0: While we haven't seen the necklace that Tanya bought. The descriptive language she and Gracie used in the recording sound much like one of the necklaces Toby has been searching for all these years. After we met with Tanya, we told Toby that Tanya said she had tried to give her the necklace. Toby told me Tanya never showed her or tried to give her a necklace that fit the descriptions from Gracie and Tanya. She did say that Tanya showed her a piece of costume jewelry one time. It wasn't gold, the metal was tarnished and it was not an infinity. It did have a round circle pendant, but it was not diamonds. Toby is adamant that the piece of jewelry Tanya showed her was not Eric's. In the last few episodes, you've heard about some of the tips that Eric's family received, but these tips are just a small portion of what they've received. The majority of them centered around a story that has become very familiar to Eric's family. There was a fight, Eric was ambushed from behind, gravely injured, usually by some type of knife, and then he and Gypsy were moved to the school and set on fire in Eric's truck. There is one other common theme in most of these tips. Eric's beloved and loyal companion Gypsy bit someone while trying to protect him. Several people have reported seeing a dog bite and from the statements, Gypsy had a good hold on him and tore him up pretty badly, possibly enough that he had to get stitches, or it likely left some noticeable scarring on his lower leg. The location of the initial altercation varies from tip to tip, but the most commonly stated location is Perry Selman's house. Some of the names of those allegedly involved vary, but there are a few names contained in these tips, that are mentioned almost every single time. One of those names is Randy Hicks. While Jessica adamantly denies it, the most widely told story is that Eric and Jessica were having an affair. I believe
1: it was a few days after we had met with the chief deputy and he had threatened to arrest Wayne for asking questions. I would go back, every day I went to the Blue Store, the last place Eric was seen. And at this time, we already had heard that a Randy Hicks is the one that started a fight with Eric. And that Eric had gotten stabbed, put in a vehicle, and burned. And I saw Randy at the Blue Store. I walked up to him, and I said, "Um, Randy, I'm Toby, Eric's mother. He became very pale. And he, in fact, leaned up, fell into his car. He was getting gas at the gas pumps. And uh, I just told him, I said, rumor has it, you're one of the ones that killed my son. And he said, no ma'am. He stuttered, started to sweat denied it, would not look at me in the face. And I said, well, come inside and let's have a a drink and uh, I'll buy you a sandwich and we can talk. And he said, no, no. And he started looking around. He said, but my brother knows what happened. My brother can tell you. He said, but I can't talk to you. And his brother, I've never been able to talk to him. He would never meet me. He would never talk to me about it.
0: Jessica insisted Randy never talked to her about it either. But she did say that shortly after Eric and Gypsy's murders, Randy became paranoid.
2: We were laying in bed one night, you know, or to go around our, our house. It's right on the road, you know, it's a curve, And I don't know what he heard or what he saw or what he thought, but we had a king-sized mattress. And... We have two windows in our room. We took the box springs and put one against each window, and we slept on the mattress and the floor. Right after that is when we moved in with his brother for a little while.
0: Why did y'all move in with his brother?
2: He said he wasn't, didn't feel safe here. That's exactly what he said.
0: And you never asked him why? And then,
2: yeah, but he didn't, he didn't really say. We didn't have a good communication you know, going on him. and him. So, he didn't really talk about things. So... It was two weeks later is when I went to jail, and then we were only together a few months from when it happened to when I went to jail and we broke up.
0: We have been provided some other recordings. One recording details the movements of four people on that Friday night before Eric and Gypsy were found murdered. The four people are Sean, Lee, and Reba that you heard about in the last episode, and a woman we will call Alice. The recording describes how Alice, Lee, and Reba were all together that night from around midnight until Sean calls. Alice is then driven by Lee and Reba down Wingo Road to a place very near Empire School where they met Sean. Alice got into a white vehicle with Sean and they drove to Randy and Jessica's house, which is on the way out of the area where Empire School is. She says Sean popped his trunk and jumps out of the car. He informed her that he needed to clean his car and asked her to help, but Alice is irritated by now. She asked him, can he do that later because she's ready to get back to her friends? Alice never looked in the trunk. Alice and Sean get back in Sean's white car and turn around driving back down Wingo Road to a home owned by family members of Sean near the school. After a few minutes, another female, who we will call Patty, gets in the car with Sean and Alice as they drive away from the school and ultimately drop Alice off somewhere. Sean and Patty then drive back down Wingo Road to the family members' home again. It is estimated that all of this activity was taking place around 4 a.m. Saturday morning. Statements were given to the Walker County Sheriff's Office and to other law enforcement. On another night, Toby was summoned to a meeting with a woman. As the meeting ended, the woman tried to hand Toby a knife. She stated that she'd been told that Lee gave this knife to Randy Hicks and it could be the knife that was used to murder Eric. Toby was surprised by this turn of events and she didn't want to touch the knife. She insisted that the knife be placed in a bag or wrapped in a towel. Ultimately, it was placed in a bag and as she was about to hand the weapon to Toby, she asked Toby what she was going to do with the knife. Toby indicated that she was going to immediately call the Walker County Sheriff's Office. The woman responded and said, "'If I wanted them to have it, "'I could have given it to Chuck Tidwell myself.'" Toby described to us how the woman pulled back from handing her the knife. At that point, Toby agreed to take the knife to Coleman County Sheriff's Office instead. Toby did contact the Coleman County Sheriff's Office before she ever left the driveway of the meeting place, and they made arrangements for an investigator to meet Toby immediately to pick up the knife. Despite Chief Deputy Darren Bridges' numerous statements to the Cates family that he needed help and wanted the help of the Coleman County Sheriff's Office, the Walker County Sheriff's Office did not welcome their assistance. In fact, They appeared to have become very territorial, confrontational, and angry about it, and this knife didn't seem to help matters. Toby has told me that investigator Chuck Tidwell told her at the time there was much discussion in the district attorney's office about charging her with obstruction of justice for not turning the knife into the Walker County Sheriff's office. I was also recently given this information, but Toby was thankfully never charged. As all the statements and tips began to surface about Randy, Sean, and Lee, Toby told me that Chuck Tidwell gave her the description of two cars that they were looking for. One of these vehicles supposedly belonged to Randy and Jessica, and the other belonged to Sean. Tanya got a tip that Randy and Jessica's vehicle was in a garage up on York Mountain.
2: We went to various houses. I mean, I can't tell you at the nights that we was out trying to find out what was going on. And when we found out that his body may have been in a car, we was up on the mountain sitting and trying to get, you know, conversating with Chuck and trying to tell him, you know, you got to get here. They're trying to get this car started. I don't know if they still have it, but it was Randy and Jessica's car. Randy Hicks and Jessica B. Yeah. They were broke down? No, It was up on the mountain. They had gave the car away after Eric died. I'm saying there's so much mishandling on this case.
0: Tonya first called Investigator Chuck Tidwell, but he was a long way from the location. Toby drove straight there from her job in Birmingham. It was dark by the time she picked up Tanya, and Toby was worried about the interior lights coming on when they opened the doors to her SUV. They were in a hurry, but Toby quickly put duct tape over the button in the door frame of the driver's side car door to prevent the interior lights from coming on, and she and Tanya drove to the location. From where they were discreetly parked, they couldn't see inside the garage where the vehicle was supposed to be. Toby snuck into a pasture to try to get closer to the garage to see inside. Tanya had to stay in Toby's SUV because they hadn't duct taped Tanya's door. Toby was a nurse and wore a bright white uniform. On this particular night, Toby told me that there was a full moon and it was so bright outside. She had to lie down in the pasture to avoid being seen by the two men outside the garage. Once the men went back inside the garage, she was able to see the vehicle. Toby returned to her car where Tanya was keeping watch and they saw the men drive another vehicle to the door of the garage. They were attempting to jump off the car. Tanya called Chuck to let him know the vehicle was there and that they were trying to jump it off. Toby said that once Chuck had confirmation that the vehicle was at this location, he secured a search warrant and went ahead and called a wrecker. Chuck arrived and the wrecker was just seconds behind him. Toby and Tanya watched until the wrecker left with the vehicle. Toby told us that she was told by Chuck that nothing was found in that vehicle. Sean's vehicle took a little longer to locate. Toby was out of town and received a call that someone had just spotted the vehicle on a rollback repo truck. Tanya went to try to catch the man driving the rollback and both Tanya and Toby placed calls to Chuck. Tanya reached him first and let him know that Sean's vehicle had been spotted. Tanya located the truck with the car on the back of it at nearby T&R Grocery. Tanya was able to speak to the driver of the rollback. Once the driver realized that the car that he was repossessing was wanted in a murder investigation, he agreed to wait for the investigator to arrive. Toby told me Chuck arrived pretty quickly and impounded this vehicle for processing too. She said that Chuck told her that a piece of the carpeting was missing from the trunk. The missing carpet in the trunk does make the statements about Sean wanting to clean out his trunk all the more interesting. Toby told us that white hairs were also found in Sean's trunk. Unfortunately, investigator Chuck Tidwell told her there was no follicle attached, so they were unable to match the hair to Gypsy. After Eric and Gypsy's murders, there was one thing that Eric's family felt pretty confident about. They believed that Randy Hicks saw what happened to Eric, and in their encounters with Randy, they quickly realized that Randy seemed to be struggling with the secret. Toby believed that Randy was going to eventually tell her the truth about the murders. From everything we've learned, Toby was right. But before Randy could reveal the truth, he disappeared for almost three weeks and was discovered dead in the woods in Sipsy. Join us next time as we discuss the suspicious circumstances surrounding Randy Hicks' death. If you have any information that could help in solving the murders of Eric and Gypsy, please call the Walker County Sheriff's Office at 205-522-6112. You may also email me at secretstrucrime at gmail.com or call our confidential tip line at 205-282-0740. If you are left still wanting even more content, please check us out on Patreon. We have filled it with great information about Susan and Evan and Eric and Gypsy. This podcast is an independent podcast. That means that everything that goes into making this podcast is done and funded by me. All of the investigative tools and resources are provided by Echo 7 Foxtrot. The tragedies we highlight and investigate have had a tremendous impact on the victim's loved ones and friends. We don't burden them with additional expenses to cover their cases. We donate our time and talents because we want to help and hope to find the answers they need that are long overdue. For as little as $5 per month, you can receive exclusive access to members-only photos, videos, early access to episodes, and much, much more. By becoming a patron, you too are helping us to help these families. Your support as a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast helps us cover the expenses associated with producing a high-quality podcast, traveling to conduct fieldwork and interviews, and obtaining the tools and equipment needed to conduct a thorough investigation. In short, your support as a patron allows us to do more for these families. Become a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast today, and let's solve these cases together patreon.com/secretscrime I'll also post the link to our Facebook page. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to follow and subscribe in your podcast player of choice and by giving us a 5-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. I'm active on social media and often share photos of Eric and Gypsy. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Secrets Crime. This episode was co-written by me and Michael Fleming. The audio production for this podcast is by Kane Power at PrecisionPodcasting.com.